For the last few weeks, we've been following Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey, and they've covered a lot of ground, and so have we. Uh, This missionary journey, verse 27, describes as God in his grace opening up a door to the Gentiles. It's a new thing that God's doing, but it hasn't all been plain sailing. There's been some tough times for them. Town after town after town, Paul and Barnabas have been thrown out on their ear. Um, one town, though, were just about to get stoned, so they fled out of there. And then last week, um, Paul actually was stoned and he was left for dead at Lystra. But despite this opposition, the grace of God has been poured out. And I just find this incredible. Isn't God wonderful? You know, even when... Even when men reject him, and even when they, they even stone the, the children of God, God still pours out his grace. And not everybody did reject him. Some are saved. So today we're picking up the story from where Paul and Barnabas have gotten to the end of their evangelism trip. They've travelled over a thousand kilometres. They've preached the gospel in a whole bunch of cities. They've been thrown out of most of them and now they find themselves at Derby. Now, can you see on the map there where we're up to? Here's Derby here. Right. So they left Antioch, they went over to Cyprus and then up over into here and over to another Antioch and then down to Iconium and then on to Lystra and now here they are at Derby. They're only at this stage about 150 kilometres or so from Tarsus. Now... Does Tarsus come to mind for anybody? Paul of Tarsus. That's, that's where Paul grew up. That's his hometown. He's nearly at his hometown and it would be very easy for him at this stage to say, all right, I'm going home to see mum and dad. Uh, but while it's the end of his evangelism trip, it's not the end of their ministry. New Christians, well, it doesn't end at conversion. New Christians have a need to be discipled. In fact, I'd take it even further than that and say all Christians have a need to be discipled. We all need to be encouraged in our walk with Christ. And so Paul and Barnabas, they didn't go home. Uh, many of the towns that, that where people had become Christians needed them to come back again. And so they went back to those places and they went there with a purpose. And that purpose was to disciple them. So, what did they do? Well, as we just talked with the kids there, one of the first things they did is is mentioned there, they strengthened the souls of the disciples. Now, your soul is your psyche. It's the person. It's your life. It's not about doing a few push-ups and a few sit-ups to get stronger. It's about strengthening who you are. Now, I don't get stronger in myself by increasing my self-esteem, by believing in myself, do I? Do I get stronger by starting out a little bit smaller and building myself up with bigger and bigger tests of character? No. Do I get stronger as a Christian by studying harder, working harder, preaching harder and trying harder? No. As a Christian, there is one way to strengthen your soul and it's with Christ. The more time you spend with Christ, the more you'll become like Christ and the stronger you'll be. You know, these new Christians, they really needed strengthening, didn't they? 
Just think about the sorts of places they live. Paul and Barnabas had been thrown out of town. Now, I know some places they don't really seem to welcome the word of God much, but I, I've never been thrown out of a town. Maybe that day's coming, I don't know, but, but I've never been thrown out of a town. Have you? These are tough places to be a Christian. Paul was stoned in one of them. And we reckon that we get it tough being a Christian. Nothing compared to what these guys were going through. And so they really needed this strengthening. But we can't be stronger just in ourselves. We can only be stronger in God's strength. When Jesus was being tempted by the devil, he was at a very real point of weakness. You know, the temptations of Jesus, they weren't just for show. They were real temptations. And so when he was tempted by the devil, he had been fasting for 40 days. I reckon he'd be pretty hungry. And the temptation that the devil threw at him was to turn these stones into bread. Now, I don't know, if the, if the devil tempted me and said, Michael, turn these stones into bread, that's, not really, that's not really not a temptation for me. Has anyone here ever been tempted to turn stones into bread? No. But for Jesus, that was a very real temptation because he could do that. But Jesus answered, it is written. Oh, I wonder where that's written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It was written in what we have as the Old Testament. You know, even Jesus, when he was weak, he didn't depend on his own human strength. Even Jesus, when he was weak, he was strengthened by God's word, the Rema word, the written word. And we are too. The living word, Jesus Christ, lives inside of our heart and he makes us stronger. But we're also made stronger by reading the written word, the word of God that we find in our Bibles. So, if you want to be a stronger Christian, don't depend on yourself, depend on Christ. Don't be filled with yourself, be filled with Christ. And we all know that to be stronger we need to eat. And so we need to fill, sorry, feed our spirit with the word of God. Now, I don't have any doubt that these disciples, apostles, as they were strengthening these baby Christians, that they did it with the word of God. It's the way it's always been done. And as they strengthened them, they encouraged them to continue in the faith. Actually, it was more than that. A better translation of the word encouragement is exhort. They exhorted them to continue in the faith. Uh, Do you remember, it was a few weeks ago now, that we talked about exhortation and what exhortation means. Exhortation is not just a gentle encouragement that says, oh, you're wonderful, you're doing so well. Yeah, that's sort of what we tend to think of as encouragement, isn't it? Exhortation can be much more than that. It is an urging. Exhortation, paraclesis, means I'm urging you to continue. And that's what they did. 
They urged them. They prodded them. Keep going. Keep on believing. Continue in the faith. Don't give up on Jesus. Don't give up on the faith that you have in him. Now, these words are utterly useless unless you have been strengthened. You think about it. If you're coming to the end of a big, long race and you've just got nothing left to give, totally worn out, and you've got nothing left to give, and somebody says, go, go, keep going, it's, oh, I've given all that I can. Cross countries weren't fun things for me. I'm not naturally athletic, folks. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but... If you've got nothing left to give, urging to keep on and go harder and faster, that's really no good at all. We need to be strengthened. And that's why they strengthened them by preaching Christ to them and urged them to continue on in Christ. And, of course, that's where the strength comes from. They're not just trying harder and pressing on in their own strength. It's Christ who keeps them going. You know, some people tell you that once God's given you faith to believe in Jesus, you'll be a Christian forever. They'll tell you, you can never stop being a Christian, even if you want to. What a load of rubbish. If that's the case, a large part of the New Testament would be redundant and a whole lot of meaningless nonsense. And, of course, we know that's not true. Something that I've just delighted in as we've worked our way through Acts is the way we keep seeing glimpses of Jesus' teaching now being applied by the Christians in the early church. And that shouldn't come as a surprise to us. Um, If you can remember back to the introduction to Acts that we had right at the start, I said that Acts is really the second of a two-volume work. Right? Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke And then he wrote the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, Luke says, In the first book, O Theophilus, talking about the gospel of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And then he continues on with, with the book of Acts. And what we see is it's a continuing story of what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is teaching. Acts continues on from the work and the teachings of Jesus and it is still Jesus who is at work. So we shouldn't be surprised that we actually see the teachings of Jesus now being applied in the early church. And you know what teaching I'm reminded of here? It's one of my favourite parables, the parable of the sower. Uh, I don't know whether I just love that because I was bred to be a farmer I don't know, but, but I, just, I just love this parable. Let me read it to you. Luke chapter 8. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell onto good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, 
To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they're in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But they have no root. They believe for a little while and time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Why were Paul and Barnabas encouraging them, exhorting them, urging them to continue on in the faith? Precisely because they could lose it. They could discontinue in the faith. Paul taught this. Jesus taught this. Right throughout the Bible we continue to see this exhortation to continue in the faith. Keep believing. Don't fall away. Keep following Jesus. Keep going. All sorts of things can make people abandon the faith. And you know that because you've seen it happen, haven't you? Someone who turns to the Lord and and they start following Jesus. But then it all gets a bit old and they stop following Jesus. They have no root. They believe for a bit, but in a time of testing they fall away. Conversions are not enough. Disciples of Jesus are called to persevere We are called to continue following Jesus. Even at the threat of death and even worse, keep going. Continue to have faith in Jesus. Don't give up. Continue to believe. Continue to bear fruit for God. For most of us today, in our country at least, it's probably not so much persecution that puts pressure on our belief, but the cares and riches and pleasures of life. But in some countries it is very much persecution that puts pressure on believers. And so it's critically important that new Christians are not just thrown into the deep to sink or swim. If you know a new Christian, don't let them drown. Get alongside them. Encourage them. Exhort them. Urge them to continue in the faith with Jesus. Because many do fall away. And that's a tragedy. It's a tragedy that Paul and Barnabas wanted to avoid. And we should too. So encourage one another. Especially new Christians. Encourage them. And part of this encouragement is what we talked about last week. That through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. 
Faith is very different to politics. Have you noticed that? I hope so. Faith is very different to politics. Politicians hide the truth in the fear that the electorate would never vote for them. And you know what? They're probably right. I reckon I could pretty much guarantee that if at the, ne- at the next election one of the political parties were to say, look, we've got some tough news for all Australians. We're heading the way of Greece. You know, we've been living beyond our means for a long time now. We've been spending more than what we've been earning. And so what my party are going to promise you is we're all going to have to pull in our belts a lot. The age of entitlement is over for everybody. So we're going to increase taxes. We're going to increase the GST. We're going to freeze pensions where they are for the next three years. Um, It is only in the most extreme of circumstances that you can expect to see government subsidies coming out to aid anybody. Um, How many votes do you think they'd get if they went to the election with that? They'd get Ken's vote. (laughs) Anybody else going to vote for them? Yeah, a few of us would. And that's the thing. Some of us will vote for them because it'll be like a breath of fresh air, these politicians saying something honest for a change. And yep, I know that me personally, if I spend more than what I'm earning, the credit card bill will just grow and grow and grow and I'm going to be in big trouble. And so some people will vote for them, but I can bet you that they won't get elected. There'll be a lot more who don't vote for them. And we wonder why politicians lie to us. It's because we want just goodies all the time. But Jesus was no politician. And he wasn't trying to get elected either, by the way. Jesus was very open about what it was going to cost his disciples to follow him. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily to follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? Of course you do, because he's not, he's not hiding it, is it? It's, it's obvious what he's saying. In the negative, to deny Christ, well, it's going to be pretty ugly for you if you deny Christ. If you turn your back on Christ now, he's going to turn his back on you on Judgment Day. If you distance yourself from Christ now, he's not going to want to have you with him on Judgment Day. But in the positive, what Paul and Barnabas are urging them to do, to continue on in Jesus, ah, the blessings. Whose car is it, Brad? Hey. (laughs) (laughs) To To keep following Christ. The blessings. Wow. There will be trouble. If you're obediently following Jesus, it won't be easy. You can count on that. 
Uh, but we talked about that last week, so that's probably enough for that now. So they strengthened them and exhorted them and then they appointed elders. Paul and Barnabas could not remain in each of those churches, obviously. They'd planted a whole bunch of churches and they couldn't stay in each of them, could they? So they appointed leaders in each of the churches and with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. Now what sort of leaders were they? In the Greek Luke calls them presbyteros. Um, So there you go, they must have been Presbyterians. No. (laughs) Here he does, it means elders. That's what Presbyteros means, is elders. Um, And he doesn't say much at all about their qualifications here, except that they believed in the Lord. Well, thank goodness for that. Um, We don't really want elders who don't believe in the Lord, although in some churches there are. But the topic of eldership, it's a whole sermon topic for another another day, so I'm not going to go into it deeply, but there are just a couple of things I want to say now. Firstly, a church needs leadership. I know as much as we probably personally would just love to have a church without leadership, where we just all come together and just do our own thing, um, a church needs leadership because without leadership or with bad leadership, it's very easy for a church to lose its way to go off on tangents or to to just end up on one person's hobby horses. Secondly, the elders were appointed. There was no popular vote. The elders were appointed. You know, that that might seem a bit offensive to us because we've been brought up in democracy and and, and you'd almost think that, oh, the only system of, of government and rule anywhere should be democracy. You know, I can't find anywhere in the Bible where democracy is held up as a good system of government. Not that I want to get rid of the democracy in Australia. But in the church, there was no popular vote. Often a popular vote will result in the popular people being elected. Now, the Bible gives us quite a few qualifications for an elder and not one of those qualifications is popularity. And so they were appointed Thirdly, that leadership should be committed to the Lord and they did it with prayer and fasting. And fourthly, their responsibilities. If I had to sum up in one word the responsibilities of an elder, I'd choose the word that Luke did in Acts chapter 20, overseer. The job of an elder in the church is to oversee the church. Now that's quite different to to a lot of modern ideas of eldership. It seems the modern idea of eldership is strategic planners, uh, those who cast the vision so everyone else can follow. Sometimes we, we think of them as those people who we designate to be pastoral carers for everybody. Sometimes uh, the elders are those who just run the business and the property side of the church. But biblically... It's more of an overseer. What does an overseer do? In Acts chapter 20, Paul is talking to the elders in Ephesus. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. 
to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Right now, I'm not going to say any more about that now. Um, we're going to leave it for when we actually get to Acts chapter 20 to, to study more about eldership and elders within the church. But for now, I just want us to understand an elder is an overseer and that means there's someone who watches out for the congregation. They care for them. They admonish them. They urge them to continue in right teaching and to continue in faith itself. And the people who guard them against misleading teaching that can arise from even within that actual congregation. We've, we've never really talked much about elders here in this church, have we? But I guess I've taken on the role of an elder and right at the birth of Bush Disciples, I asked John Phelps if, if he would be an elder for us as well. And so at this stage, John and I would have the role of overseers in this little church. So if things are running amok, it's our fault. Um, and maybe you should let us know. <laughs> so after strengthening them, urging them to continue in Christ and appointing elders to oversee the churches... Finally, they got to head back to their, to their other home, that the church that had sent them out, the church in Antioch. And that's where they made their report. And wow, what a report it was. They'd been sent out on mission and God had opened up a door to the Gentiles. The Jews were becoming increasingly anti-Christian and so God opened up another door but this wasn't just a second best alternative. You know, it was God's plan all the way along that God was going to open up the door to the Gentiles. God's plan of salvation was always to include the Gentiles. Is there anybody here who's happy about that? I am. I am. If, 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 if this missionary trip didn't happen, if God didn't open up the door for the Gentiles to also believe in Jesus, it would still be just a Jewish sect. But the fact that this happened all those years ago, that God opened up the door for Gentile believers, means that a little bunch of people who love the Lord are gathered right here in this hall today. Now, is anybody happy that God opened up the door for the Gentiles now? Stick up your hand if you're happy now. Hey, I am too. 